Hey everyone, this is episode 13 of the Food About Town podcast. In this episode, I sat down with Ben Welk of Slow Road Documentary Series, and also a big part of the uh, the winery train. It's going to be running through the Niagara wine region starting at the end of this month, uh, end of September, and running through most of October. Uh, we had a fun talk. We sat down with the uh, Smokestack co-work in the city and talked through the, the winery train, some of his background in coffee, just had an overall good time talking. Uh, I do apologize about the audio quality for this one. Had some static, unfortunately. Hopefully it's still listenable. If you have uh, issues or it isn't listenable, get back to me, and uh, hopefully it'll be better the next time. Um, thanks for listening. Subscribe on iTunes, and uh, enjoy the podcast. But I'd been forgotten, I'd go. I'd been married a long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? But I'd been forgotten, I'd go. I'd been married a long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? everybody, I'm here with Ben Welk. Don't be confused about the spelling like I was. Um, and I'm going to kind of let you describe what you are. You're pretty much you're a modern renaissance man. I don't know what you do. <laughs> you, you have so many different projects. Yeah, yeah, all, all trades master done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like living in that world, too. Yeah. Uh, it's always exciting. That's true. It's, it's good for uh, anyone with ADHD. As I had as a child, so I'll say that. But uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, basically, um, sitting, you know, having a chance to talk today and uh, looking at the fact that we're, we're talking about something really unusual for our whole region and for all of Western New York, um, which is this concept of utilizing a rail excursion uh, for farm to table and to uh, really be a platform for people to engage uh, local agriculture and also the Niagara Wine Trail. So, I mean, we, we've talked about this a few times. It's just a concept that grabs at your senses in a lot of different ways. I mean, for a food nerd like myself, like you're engaging with local farmers, which is awesome. I mean, just, just that part of it is cool in of itself. And then expanding into the Niagara wine region. So get a, li- a little bit about the Niagara wine region as it sits now. I mean, you know more than I do. Yeah, and I'm certainly not an expert uh, on it whatsoever. I'm still very much just starting to learn some of the wineries um, that are on the trail. Um, there's about 20 that currently exist um, across uh, basically a five-county span. Um, they're becoming more known for some of their uh, vinifera wines uh, that they're doing. Their, um, their Which is, for, for, for a neophyte like myself, do you know what that means? Uh, vinifera is, is a, um, a certain... Aspect, a certain type of vine. Um, okay. I really, I can't say too much more on it than that. It's, it's almost like kind of like an origin vine. I have to sit here and Google it to be honest. But no, that, that's okay. I mean, like for, for me, I, I don't, I don't really drink wine. I don't understand it. Sure. Like I know conceptually about wine, but I don't, I don't live in the world of wine. So anything right. that comes out, I'm trying to learn a lot. And I think a lot of people are in the, I drink red or white, and not like trying to appreciate the subtleties of it, which is. Actually, kind of what Niagara's trying to go for, right? They're trying to expand their uh, their base of people. Right, right. And I'm just doing a little research here in the 
example to do so quickly, which is great. And uh, it's native to the Medi uh, Mediterranean region. So um, it, it's really um, more moved towards uh, uh, kind of this idea of, of something that's fresh, it's actually dried, uh, to produce raisins, apparently. Um, <laughs> something else I didn't know. Um, but what I'm learning about the Niagara Wine Trail is that they are really trying to move towards uh, the drier reds uh, in the region, that they actually have a very good microclimate for that. Right, which, I mean, in, in my, like I said, not very learned, that's like the, the rateable wines that you can you know, get high in, like the wine rankings. And, like wine snobs, they love dry reds. They don't want sweet stuff. They sure. want these more complex uh, subtleties. Right. Right. These are the kind of things that are growing, like you said, Mediterranean, which is also California kind of as well, right? Right, yeah, I, there's a wide range that some of the wines that I had a chance to sample um, that I can I can speak to that I really enjoyed were uh, a lot of the Pinot Noirs are really fantastic. There's some Meritage uh, blends that are going on right now, kind of this combination of like the Cap Franc uh, with Merlot. Um, some of the dessert wines actually really moving almost to the opposite spectrum. So the sweet wines that do exist, they're actually doing some very um, alternative options like uh, black currant. Um, something that they're offering as a dessert wine. I actually got a chance to uh, try that at Freedom Run Winery the other day. Freedom Run also has um, something called Applejack, which is uh, an apple. Um, it's the, more along the idea of like a, a distilled spirit, basically. Right, and that's actually I, I had that the cocktail that that makes the other day, the Jack Rose. Uh, Applejack is, yeah, it's the key component to that. That's something that's not very commonly seen anymore. Oh, that's interesting. It's one yeah. of, Jack Rose is one of the classic six cocktails in one of the early uh, cocktail manuals. Okay. And nobody orders it anymore. Only a few places even make it. I had one at the Revelry the other day. Oh, that's true. And it was fantastic. And it's just, it's something, it's, it's got that apple essence. And it's still a cocktail and it's not overly sweet because you didn't really do that back then as much. Yeah, it's it's just interesting stuff. And that, that's cool. It's an interesting connection. Yeah, there's it's, it's interesting that there's this kind of different movements that are happening. You have you know the quality dry reds that are coming out, and you also have the native agriculture to the region, and things like the apples obviously are a big piece. But there's some incredible, some of the best hard cider I've had too. Uh, steampunk cider out of Leonard Oaks Estate Winery. Oh, and that's out yep, there. And that's See, out there. That's on the trail. I knew that was yep. around here. I didn't know where it was from, and I know the. Um, the cider is getting huge now. It's like the yeah. It's like the next big thing. And he's putting he puts English bitters in it, grows English bitters and everything. Oh, and wow. it's, I mean, it's just the, the agricultural aspect of that region is really going to lend itself to, I guess, something that really deserves to be engaged with and, ex and is a pleasure to experience. You know, to anyone that kind of comes through it. Um, another one is um, Blackbird Cider Works, also is uh, okay. out there as well. So I've seen them make the rounds in Rochester, places like uh, Big Park um, has. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, 750 milliliter bottle you can buy and share with somebody for a pretty good price. Nice. Um, yeah. Actually, I think I might have had that there. I think it was interesting. Yeah, it might have been Paris too. They might have a parasite. I'm not super right, sure right. on that. But so you have this basically this region that's emerging because it's you know it's already um, the agricultural center in New York State. It's got you know known for cabbage growing, um, but it's known for its orchards as well. And so you've got people that are are growing the grapes, people that are growing apples, people that are growing. Um, year-long produce and so now we have this opportunity with this train to give people uh, an ability to experience it and try it and taste it and we want to do it in a way that really showcases the region and so the thought really behind something like a farm to table train is what could be better than riding on a train literally seeing some of the fields that you're you're looking at and that you're going by uh, where your food has actually come from and enjoying that and, uh, and 
experience that's that entertaining and kind of inspiring? I mean, conceptually, it makes a lot of sense. We, we, we've been talking about this on and off for, what, two, three months now, yeah. at least. Yeah. Um, ben and I are the kind of guys that we just see each other around town and then we end up in a half-hour yeah. conversation. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I've been hearing about this for a while, and conceptually, I just the idea of just sitting down, relaxing, and enjoying a presentation of a region just sounds cool. So, right. I mean, the, the, the food part, so, well, let, let's get to the destinations. I mean, where, where is this going from and to right now? Where would people pick up on it from Rochester? Right. So, so what's interesting is that the rail line itself has existed for, for quite a long time. They've been doing excursion rails on that. Um, Medina River Museum has been doing, you know, things that are a little more traditional, things like uh, a Polar Express kind of franchise opportunity or mm-hmm. Thomas the Tank Engine. Uh, sure. or fall foliage stores and stuff, but now what we're doing is we're actually both looking to extend its geographic reach and also extend the programming through it. Um, so the majority of the farm to table trains this year, as we're just engaging this, will still kind of um, meet in Medina, that's the location where you would go, and they'll go towards Lockport um, as part of that experience. Right. But we also have a couple dates that we want to do in October, um, which are going to be more passenger-run oriented, just to engage the line, um, but people can also then ride the farm to table train. Um, but that would actually be out of Brockport, and there's a lot of hope for Brockport. That's 40 miles worth of rail that would exist between Brockport and Lockport. And if that happens, you know, then that really becomes the eastern gateway to Niagara Wine Trail, sure. and um, really the rest of the kind of the heritage corridor that actually already exists. It's literally a heritage corridor is uh, defined by the National Park Service because of the Erie Canal. Okay. Um, so you can experience Erie Canal, historic Erie Canal towns. You again experience the, the local assets and natural assets of the Wine Trail and all the agriculture that's grown there. Sounds really cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, even you know the expansion of the Brockport makes it even easier. You know, as time goes on, for people to engage with it, not that Medina's that far, really. Medina's sure. only what? About 40, 50, yeah, 45, 50 minutes. Yeah. It's a nice drive, too. It's, it's a beautiful drive. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's beautiful, and then even if you're picking it up there and you need to get other food, and there's some good food in Medina, too. Right, right. And, you know, from, from a Mexican food nerd standpoint, yeah. there's, uh, due to all the, the migrant workers and stuff, there's, there's roadside taco stands. Nowhere else in our area do we even have roadside taco stands, and there's two right near each other in Medina. Yeah. And another real Mexican restaurant in town. Right, yeah, I've, I've gone, gone to that one yeah, a couple times now. It's, yeah. uh, I'm, I consider myself uh, pretty picky when it comes to good Mexican food, and um, my favorite aside that in the Rochester region has been Aidecate. Yeah. And uh, love Aidecate. Um, had an ate there this week, actually. Um, but I'll tell you, the, the food out of Medina, of all places, is uh, incredible. The mole that I had there in the chicken mm. is just, like, incredible. So I, I think it just kind of speaks to... Um, the fact that there's so much hidden in these towns, people just do incredible things. And it's it's it, unless you go there on purpose, you're not going to go through Medina, right? And and now it, having a reason for people to go to these areas, it is, this is almost like a destination kind of thing. I mean, this is so you you, you were telling me earlier about you know this isn't uncommon in other areas. Like how does like what other areas where people see these kind of things? Sure. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of heritage rails that exist even across the state. Um, you know, looking at things like the Adirondack Scenic Railway or the Arcade Attica Railway. Um, my understanding is there's one in Finger Lakes as well. Um, but I don't think they've really been kind of looked at in this way and realized in this way. Um, Napa, uh, the Napa Valley has a train. Um, they've actually uh, copyrighted the term wine train, so that's nothing <laughs> we're going to go near. Uh, we're calling it a Niagara Wine Trail winery train. Um, 
but they have also introduced uh, farm-to-table components as part of that, uh, as part of the region. But really, this is a first for our region, you know, for upstate New York. And it, again, looking at western New York and upstate, it's, it is what makes the region what it is. It is the, the agriculture in western New York, you know, between Rochester and Buffalo, this <coughs> acres and acres of open fields that exist, you know, fueling, you know, agriculture for the region. So I... I I think it's really neat that there's a chance to actually ride a rail that goes through and, and encounters that. And then there's also going to be a piece of interpretation. We really uh, want people to learn about what they're trying um, so people will know where the, the different um, foods are that they try. And we're also going to have uh, winery representatives on the train. Um, if you ride in the first class uh, passenger, they'll actually be in that, that area. Right, right. Um, and you can speak with them about what you're trying as you're going really through and trying it. Yeah. So on to the food side of things. Um, do you have definitive plans on what you're offering at this point, or what you're, what's getting, what's the, you know, like what, what are we looking at getting there? Well, we're just starting to plug in some of the people that we're going to work with, and mm. that's been really exciting. Um, one place, you know, again, that probably not many people will know about uh, is a place called Becker Farms. Uh, it's also called Biscard Vineyards. It's out in Gasport, New York. Okay. And uh, they actually have a, a Culinary Institute of America trained chef working, oh, awesome. working there, doing all farm-to-table menus. Um, as a side note, it was actually where I chose to do my wedding reception uh, back in 2013 because of the fact that the food there, I mean, it was a beautiful setting, you know, sitting again in Vineyard. Oh, sure. I mean, that whole area is really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was a food that sold us. You know, it was like, we have to go here. It's local food. And how do you, you know, that's not something you normally see offered as part of any wedding reception service. So. Definitely not. Yeah. So Especially that, around here. It's not really focused on as much. Yeah, yeah. As so. much as it should be. I mean, it's, it's getting better and better, but it's not like the... In some areas, it's you know critical. Everything has to be local all the time. I think it's right. getting in that direction a little bit, but something like that—that's really cool. I right. just done a wedding a couple months ago myself. Yeah, you know, it's you know having that local focus is really nice. Right. I mean, it it, it adds to the experience, especially on a day when you're trying to celebrate as much as you are. Um, it's it's just one more thing that's you know people always care about how the food tastes, but what's better than you know actually keeping it seasonal and local? Yeah. Um, so so they're on board right now, which is fantastic. And uh, speaking of on board, there's plenty of uh, train puns that can be used, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, even unintentionally. Oh, uh, unintentionally, they just they, they come out all the time, uh, full steam ahead, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Um, so we've been joking about that quite a bit. But uh, having somebody, you know, I, I think it speaks again to. The assets that are in the region that people don't even recognize, like knowing that there's a CIA chef at Becker Farms who's going to be, you know, preparing and producing farm-to-table uh, ingredients is fantastic. Yeah, uh, we've absolutely. also also had conversations with Hearts Market right here in downtown Rochester, um, not only about doing some co-branding opportunities with them, but also involving some of their chefs um, to come on board and do aspects of the farm-to-table too. Yeah, so. and I've had some of their food already, and I've done a podcast with them a few episodes ago, and just having some of their just prepared dishes right in the right in the place. You know, no notice, and you're just going getting the food. It's some really good stuff there already. Yeah, like the, the breakfast sandwich breakfast, I had. I was just gonna say ridiculously good. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I've have, I haven't had a better roll on a breakfast sandwich anywhere. Yeah, and they're they're having them. In, they're sending them in from Toronto, and they're par baking them and finishing them at the at the grocery store. I mean, oh. that attention to detail and that. I mean, maybe eventually they'll make them themselves. Hopefully, they'll get them from someone local eventually. But sure. Man, it's really good. Yeah, you know, yeah. The flavors are good, and all even all the cold stuff that they made earlier in the day was really tasty. Yeah, I had a, a pulled pork sandwich here with like a pickled veggie on yeah. there, which was just fantastic. Um, 
So we're I, we're thrilled, and it's you know the timing of this is really appropriate too. Like looking at the fact that Hearts is just opening, you know, doing their thing in downtown Rochester, um, and we are just starting through this Western New York excursion program and trying to get this stuff up and running. We just see a lot of synergy between that, um, and also you know something that um, has been very clearly spoken by the Niagara Wine Trail is the fact that they really see Rochester as their primary market. Um, so the gentleman I'm working with actually just shot a commercial for the Niagara Wine Trail here in Rochester, mm. going to all the Rochester restaurants and food establishments like Good Luck, like Cure, like uh, Solaro's and Cheshire and all those places sure, because sure. They, they want to be seen as uh, a region that's interested in, in being a part of that urban culture. Um, yeah. Well, I think that's you know partially that. I love the connection to Rochester because we don't often get focused on you know, Finger Lakes is kind of sort of attached to us, sort of attached sure. to Syracuse. And, of course, this is between Buffalo and Rochester, and you'll get the crossover there, too. Right. But I can see why that uh, – is that the like a tourist board, or what is the – Yeah, it's, it's the, the board itself, yeah, basically okay. the Niagara Wine Trail is, is showing a lot of interest in Rochester. And um, one of the things they're trying to say to people that people don't realize, and they, they love this because it's, it's true, but they are geographically closer than the Finger Lakes region. Right. And so they're trying to get people out towards that region, you know, to, to, to really begin to shift their attention and, and realize what it has. And, um, you know, it's it's interesting because there's some people that are very dedicated and very uh, almost just strict in terms of their interpretation of the type of wines that they want to bring out. And it's very much the, only the dry reds and the dry whites. But there are other wineries that are very experimental, kind of like oh, we sure. were talking about. So you do kind of get this interesting flair um, for, for the whole trail and the region itself. Right, because you kind of need that. You need that hook. And that's like, in the last year or so, you've seen the Finger Lakes region get more regionally popular. I have I read a couple articles in the in, uh, New York City region, I think it was New York Times, and somewhere else focusing on the Finger Lakes wines. Because they're not, they're not just kicking out the sweet stuff. They're kicking out these wines that everybody wants to drink. Sure. Um, why can't I think of that? What the, the, the big Finger Lake wine? The Riesling. The Rieslings, yeah, right. Yeah. So the, the Rieslings that are getting popular more regionally. Well, now there's a hook, so more people from downstate are coming up, and people other around the region are coming up, and that's that's kind of what I when we talked about before. I pictured that, you know, that when they have that hook of these the, the reds that people want, and then you get to the other more creative, interesting stuff that people want to try. Right. Once they know you're doing good stuff and you're competent at what you do. Right. And for most people, competent is, you know, these rateable, kind of dry style, dry right. style reds, sure. dry style sure. lights, you know. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense, and just getting that advertising out there, 45 minutes is really close. Right, right. 45 minutes is almost nothing. I mean, right. You're not even getting to Buffalo or Syracuse in 45 minutes. It's nothing, no big deal. Right. Well, and, you know, it's funny because Medina really is a halfway point between Buffalo and Rochester. So, right. I mean, I think there's a lot of hope that it be, kind of becomes this destination for both urban populations that they really see this as kind of this this getaway that they can take and certainly you know having that facilitated with a, a rail excursion with you know the scenery that you're going to see from the rail cars as you're kind of slowly you know just kind of meandering along like I, th- I think it's going to be really strong but yeah, yeah the idea that what's the point of waiting for something to experience the area what's the point of waiting to arrive at a restaurant you can actually sit there and you can yeah. begin to sample these wines and you can sample these uh, just incredible um, not only the local ingredients but now trying to work with some of the most talented local chefs in the area as well um, it becomes a showcase I, I, I've been saying a lot it's almost like a rolling clearinghouse it's like this little right. platform you can just put different programmatic activities in 
Um, and we're also already talking about doing some dinner trains in the dead of winter, too. Which you I know. think would be really cool, especially, I mean, the growing season's over and the stuff's starting to get ready to go at that point, too. Sure. And the wineries, I mean, even just from a business standpoint, the wineries would love something like that where they can get some get some advertising because they're, you know, their showrooms often aren't open through the winter. Right. Depending on where you're going. Right, course. sure. It gives them a chance to focus and show off their stuff any time of year, too, which is great. But, and uh, winter is beautiful in our area. It is, yeah. I, I mean, especially, you know, a snowy countryside, you know, and you're experiencing a three- to five-course, you know, meal that's been prepared for you, and there's there's wines from the area. Perhaps yeah. there's, there's more unique things like a hot wine, you know, sure. old spices or something like that, something that really, like, embodies this... this uh, I guess an authentic winter experience in, in Western New York, if you will. Right, I know right. people think of that in a negative way, but hey, if you're in a, a self-contained environment and you're being fed um, with views of the snow outside, with you're wearing, yeah, I think you'll be pretty happy. So, <laughs> oh, so we're gonna get off the train for a little bit. There you go. So, <laughs> I met you originally at Joe Bean Coffee. I think yep. while you were working, it was a while back. So, yeah. is that that's. I know coffee's one of your passions, too. For sure, yeah. I know you're, you're a big coffee nerd like I am, yeah. so... I yeah. mean, the, the coffee scene around Rochester's kind of been exploding and moving it around has. recently. Yeah, it has. Um, it, you know, uh, I've been with Joe Bean um, for nearly 10 years, which is ridiculous to even say out loud. So you, you were there in the early days yeah. in Webster before yes. anybody knew who they were. Yeah, I started working with them in 2005. Um, as, which, God, as, it seems like... I mean, I'd heard about them like a year or two before they came into the city. right. But nobody knew about them, and now it's kind of like, kind of like the place where people go. Sure. Know? Well, there's such an evolution to what happened with Joe Bean, and uh, you know everything eb- eb- ebbs and flows. And with Joe Bean, you know, we dealt with having this little Main Street coffee shop, and we didn't roast our own coffee. We didn't know our own product. We really didn't know a lot about the coffee world, and we dealt with a lot of challenges in that location. And you know, things we found out were against zoning with the building itself and power <laughs> outages and brown. I mean, just some really right. challenging times. And at that point, they folded up the shop, and there was a lot of questions about what to do next. And um, Kathy Turiano, who's one of the owners uh, of the shop, uh, and some of the other owners with her, um, went to this conference. And I think one of the first things I heard at it is most most people in coffee get into coffee for the wrong reasons, and you don't you don't know your product. And if you're if you're going to know your product, right. if you're going to su- succeed as an independent coffee shop in a day where you're you know, a Dunkin' Donuts is around almost every corner, uh, and there was one in Webster, for that matter. Right. Um, you know, you have to have a product that you know through and through, and it has to be uh, crafted. And so, well, they, you have to stand out a little bit too, because if you're doing, I mean, not to pigeonhole, I'm assuming it was you know second wave coffee, you know, the old sure. school coffee shop style. Right. You got a light, right. medium, a dark, and you got a few flavors. Oh, and, for sure. Yeah. And all that stuff. You're, you're not standing out amongst the crowd anymore. There's any number of those places in every small town in America now. Right. And you're, you're not going to stand out like that. Right. And switching to what they did and understanding the product and roasting their own and really be right. coming into their own as a really revolutionary for Rochester coffee shop. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. I mean, they didn't even have it. They, they were so focused on the product at that point that they actually moved away from even having a cafe open to the public and it was right. just a wholesale roasting facility and facility is being generous it was literally a, a small shack <laughs> that was on this property and that's where they began roasting and um, they were using a very innovative approach they were using the profile roasting technique they'd been uh, they went down to uh, Florida and they worked with Ambex who's the manufacturer of the roaster and they were okay. taught basically how to do that 
And so the profile roasting technique basically, you know, uses digital technology to chart the difference of temperature over time. So you have you have different profiles, different slopes that you have for the coffee, and uh, they really fine tune their product. And as that started taking off, they're like, oh, maybe we should open up, you know, the roasting facility to the public so people can come in and it won't really be a cafe, but we can do some pour overs. Let's start learning, you know, how to do a Hario pour over or a Chemex. And so people could come into this little boutique shop in Webster then. Right. Um, grab their product, grab a coffee to go on the road. It sounds cool, sure. Yeah, and, that, and that, was, that was it, and that was its thing, but then there was always this desire to do something bigger, you know, bolder, which is a word I hate to use in the coffee industry, but, uh, <laughs> you know, so, something, a roast. <laughs> something, something that was, you know, uh, really going to come out the door, and so um, there had been plans, uh, and a lot of people don't know this either, but there had been plans um, to use a train station, uh, old train depot that was in Webster, Wow! and uh, through a long series of unfortunate events, um, basically a developer took over the property, didn't have the same vision as the initial developer, right. and wanted to basically raise and destroy everything on the property, oh, and, and, and they did. If you drive by um, north of uh, the village of Webster on 250, it turns into North Avenue. Was it an interesting building, too? Um, it, it wasn't, per se. You know, it was functional, just, just but, place, yeah. but there were. The train station certainly was. The train station uh, is actually the only building that still sits there, yeah. and it's in, um, you know, it's in very rough shape, but there were provisions to bring that back. And when it became clear that Webster wasn't in the plans, it became pretty obvious soon that it's, it would make sense to move this to downtown Rochester. Yeah. I mean, now now you see it in the middle of a, an area that even then, I mean, it, was, it was kind of even up and coming still. It's a nice enough sure. area on University, but it wasn't what it is now. And it's really expanding greatly in the last... Right. Once in three years now, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, very and industrial area now. You know, you're seeing, like, Joe Bean popped up there and... Took a, a space which was in an old World War One armory um, factory, yeah. later a shoe factory. They, you know, went in and uh, demoed stuff back to the original walls, the original brick to really give it that feel. And it is that it is the embodiment of the the real authentic. I hate using the word authentic now. I, I've started <laughs> getting away from that just because it, it doesn't it doesn't work in food and it doesn't work in real life. But it's they're they're really engaging with the architecture as it was. It's not just a cover up. It was really it's the embodiment of that. It's just, it, yeah. it is in that space as yeah. it is, but done really nicely. Yeah, and then you see things like the revelry, you know, you just mentioned, um, come back and Absolutely. what they've done with it, an amazing historic building and a, you know, glass floor wine cellar and all this kind of stuff in there. Beautiful. But it's, yeah, it's really starting to change that area and people are, are seeing it as this kind of tucked away corner of Rochester where they can go for great food, great drinks, and great coffee. Absolutely. And that's something, you know, you see it now all around is, you know, these places popping up. I mean, not all around, but you know, three, four, five of these places doing the you know artisan style coffee, you know, right. the manual pours, the attention to detail. It's exciting for a coffee nerd like myself, and I'm yeah. sure like you. It's, it's great to see it happen, right? Because you go to other cities and you're like, oh, this this is what we can have. And now, when I go to their cities, I'm like, is this as good as what we have? Sure. Not always. Yeah. Yeah. Not always, and I've been to big cities, and it's not always as good as this stuff. Right. I heard it uh, overheard a conversation in Joe Bean recently. Um, we have a barista that uh, was from Seattle, and the customer at the counter said, "Oh, you, you know, you must be used to some really, you know, great coffee. Like, oh, we don't really, we can't come close to that." And she was like, "Actually, she's like, this place is is it's good or better than some of the places I experienced out there." So I think, absolutely, yeah. I, I spent a week in Seattle in November, and one of the things I wanted to do was really go coffee crazy. And they're, they're espresso focused out there more than coffee focused. Um, everywhere has got espresso on the side of the road. 
little espresso shacks. And it, it's really cool. But there's not a lot of places doing this kind of coffee. You know, the pour over sure. manual. Two yeah. or three places I could find. Yeah. And it was no no better, no better than what we have here. And it, it's it's great to see places really trying to do the best of whatever they're doing here in Rochester. Because yeah. a lot of people have this inferiority complex about where we are. True. Yeah. And, you know, I think that just hearing you say that, too, that's really part of what this is all about, too. For me, this is recognizing that we come from a region that is world-class in its own right. And, and I do think that is. I don't think we're a world-class winery, you know, wineries yet. I don't think we're necessarily no. world-class agriculture. But but that doesn't mean there's indi- not individual places doing great things. Right. And that doesn't mean there aren't things worth looking at. I mean... We're probably not going to be Napa. Let's, that's that's not going to happen. But right. But then again, no earthquakes. <laughs> so if no people want to move from Napa and, and, and open on the Niagara Wine Trail, you know, there's no, there's not yeah. as many earthquakes. Here. It's not going to be that, but we can still highlight the greatness that is here. And the, one of the reasons I love doing this stuff is why it's my hobby is highlighting the great things that are here. The people aren't trying to do what everybody wants. They're trying to be really good at one thing. You know, sure. We can have we yeah. can have the Mexican food that's really good. We can have wineries trying to do the rateable and then the creative stuff at the same time. We're, we're allowed to have good things, right? And people should right. embrace them for what they are, and not just it's not going to be the other place, but it can still be great, right? In of itself. Well, we, you know, we have one of the most abundant freshwater supplies anywhere in the whole world here, and obviously that's going to directly relate itself to the quality of. of agriculture that's produced, the Absolutely. wines that can be produced here uh, as part of that climate. So it's, uh, I mean, for me, I think West, Western New York is a very undiscovered resource. I, I think it's, you know, as you spoke, even driving through it on 31A with Medina, like yeah. it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. Absolutely. And this idea that, yeah, you can do a farming table, you know, rail train through it, get wines on it, you know, start to encounter it that way. And then also, hopefully, subsequent events at the actual wineries themselves, or in Medina, for that matter, you know, really seeing this culture grow and expand, it doesn't just even have to be about the rail excursions, but it could be that the rail excursions could be a literal vehicle, but also a conceptual vehicle of bringing people together to celebrate that. It's an experience. People love experiences. Yeah. And just having that as that experience as a gateway to open people's eyes to what this could be. I mean, there's so many tourists going to the Finger Lakes all the time. And it's not, it's not always the connoisseurs. It's often not the connoisseurs. It's, you know, the the bachelor parties and everything else, and that's all well and good. It brings a lot of business. Yep. Not necessarily what I want to be around all the time. <laughs> I can only handle so much wooing when I go out. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's I, I, like I said, as soon as I heard about this, I wanted to sit down and talk for a while, and it's, it's a really cool idea. Yeah. So, kind of getting towards the end of what we're doing... Uh, what, what are the pertinent social media things? I saw sure. there's a Twitter pop up today, right? Yes, there is. Uh, WNY Excursions. Uh, actually, I take it back. WNY Rail uh, is the Twitter handle. We, excursions was too long, so we went WNY Rail. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, really um, just, just the websites for information, uh, railroadmuseum.net um, has a lot of information up there. Um, you can visit the Niagara Wine Trail at um, niagarawinetrail.org. Um, they'll, they should be uh, posting information shortly up on their homepage as well. Um, so really we're just trying to you know, get the word out there, um, obviously have people come um, purchase tickets, and uh, tickets are uh, $45 for coach uh, for the ride, $63 for first class. First class actually gets you um, like a dining car, uh, old cool. vintage uh, retro uh, dining car. Which is cool in of itself. I mean, right. railroad travel is, 
it's it's kind of kitschy, but it's really cool. I mean, railroad travel sure. that was a real old school luxury in a, in, you know, in a dining car. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, in the age of you know things moving so quickly and being cramped and confined, and all the articles we've seen recently about the uh, airlines diverted from lack of leg room space. Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> There's nothing worse than that when you're fighting over one bag of you know terrible little cookies. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's all you can fight for. It's it's a means to an end. It's not. Sometimes the journey can be pleasant in of itself. Right. Right. And here we have a, uh, the journey. Here is you know a couple hours from Medina uh, to Lockport and back. Um, there's a stopover in Lockport that people can enjoy the, the town that's there too. And this is another component we haven't even talked about, but um, Lockport is going to do uh, their farmer's market right when people get off the train as well. So really oh, when we, awesome. talk, we talk farm to table, we're, we're talking about even connecting people to the market itself where they can actually do, you know, where people can't purchase bottled wine on the train, uh, they're sampling it, they can purchase bottled wine actually at the farmer's market that they can bring back with them. Right. Um, which, is, which is really cool. I mean, people, I mean, I'm a... I'm a I'm a big lover of the market scene around Rochester. Not only the public market, but the suburban markets. You know, Brighton sure. especially. Yeah, Brighton's very curated. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a great curated market, which is basically the same as the Southwedge one on yep. Thursday. But it's great to see more of that, and just even getting to see a different side of things. You're gonna see different vendors out there than you see in Rochester. Right. There's some crossover, of course, but right. You know, different farms, different perspectives. We have so many great farms around here, and it's great to see more when you're out there, too. It's, right. It only makes sense. Yeah, I think that will certainly be true with the wineries, too. I think there's a lot of wineries that haven't um, you know, taken the time to try to push into Rochester. Uh, it's actually very rare to find a Niagara Wine Trail winery doing The only one that comes to mind is Leonard Oaks, who's been at some of those same farmers markets. Right, which I've, I've heard of them, but yep. I haven't heard of most of these other ones. Right. Right, so it's a chance to try you know, new wines, and, and again, some of the creativity from some of these wineries is really impressive with what they're doing. Um, I actually had one of the best, um, I've never really liked blush wines before, I had one of the best true blush wines um, I've ever had um, at uh, Freedom Run Winery, which is another one we're looking to work with. Um, so it's, it's been really exciting you know, to discover it, I'm certainly still discovering it. Um, we have eight wineries right now that are signed up for being a part of the Farm to Table trains. Um, and then, uh, you know, we're looking at uh, our first run is on September 27th, um, coming soon at the end of this month. And then running running through the fall? Um, yeah, right now we're running through October, October 4th, 11th, and 8th, uh, 18th. And then part of that will actually have a Brockport component, too. Um, people can get information on that, again, by going to the website, railroadmuseum.net. Um, you can also call, um, I'll leave the number, uh, 585-798-6106. Um, to call to actually, uh, you know, find out additional information, get your ticket uh, reserved, and uh, all trains will uh, depart right now unless uh, they're out of Brockport, which will be specified at 1 p.m. Um, from uh, 530 West Avenue, um, which is the Medina Railroad Museum in Medina, cool. New York. Yeah. Nice. Well, this was a lot of fun. I'm sure we can do this yeah. again sometime. We can talk about other topics and nerd out more about coffee. Yeah, but, absolutely. Um, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me and. Um, I'll see you out there on the on the railroad. Yeah, thank you. Really looking forward to it.